Good morning. Uh, it's good to see all of you. My name is Tim, one of the pastors here. Uh, if you're visiting, uh, you might uh, need to know as we start to look at this passage this morning that we've been really immersed in a letter that Paul wrote to the Romans, this, this epistle to the Romans. And it's been a marathon in a lot of ways. And just to kind of catch you up um, a little bit, for the first 11 chapters, basically what we've seen Paul do is just completely drench us with the mercy of God. That he has opened up and he has shown us that God is a God who loves sinners, that he is a God of grace, that he loves those who are broken, those who are messed up, those who cannot in any way save themselves. That that's who he is, that's what he's in the business of doing. And then in chapter 12, he makes this transition. He makes this transition to kind of go, okay, for those of us who belong to God, who've been shown mercy, and been, who've been shown grace, how does that work itself out in our lives? How does that change us? How does that make us different? So that's more of what we're looking at this morning. We're going to be looking at uh, chapter 13, verses 8 through 14. One of the things I was thinking of um, just this very morning, uh, a matter of fact, is that one of the most probably hated sentences... Uh, in the English language, you probably felt this um, as well very recently, maybe in the last few hours, is it's time to get up, <laughs> right? That, like five words that can just make us revolt, like it's time to wake up, and you're like, no, just give me a little bit more time. If you use your phone kind of as your alarm, then you've probably played that game where you, you've tried to find the perfect ringtone. Has anybody else done this? Like... You want a ringtone that's aggressive enough to wake you up, but, not, but gentle enough to not make you hate the world once you're awake, right? I used the foghorn for a while, the ah, 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 and I thought my wife was going to divorce me. I had to change that. But sometimes, sometimes we just wake up, right? Sometimes we're almost surprised by the fact that we pop out of bed in the morning, and we're fully awake, and we're ready for the day, because what we, we know that there's something coming that day that we, we are looking forward to and we're longing for. About once a year, not always once a year, but about once a year, I get to go backpacking with one of my, my college roommates, one of my best friends in this world. And um, this coming week, actually tomorrow, um, I get to go do that. And I promise you, I won't need an alarm tomorrow morning. I will jump out of bed. And I say that, and I start with that this morning, because in this passage that I'm about to read to you, Paul, he literally says to us, guys, it's, it's time for you to wake up. The, the night has passed, and the day is now here, and it's time to wake up. And I hope that what we see this morning is that what he's presenting to us, what he wants us to know, what he wants us to see, that the day that is coming is so stunningly beautiful that you would never go back to sleep again that you would never be lulled back to sleep again. Let's hear what he has to say this morning from Romans chapter 13, um, verses 8 through 14. This is God's word. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor 
as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. Not in orgies and drunkenness. Not in sexual immorality and sensuality. Not in quarreling and jealousy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Amen. This is God's Word. Um, He gives it to us this morning. He gives it to you this morning because He really does love you. And He wants you to know Him. And so let's pray and ask that He would help us to understand. Father, we we simply ask um, that You would do what Your Son even asked, that You would open our ears that we might hear, that You would open our eyes that we might see, that You would not just this morning give us understanding, but I pray that You would help our unbelief. And Father, we pray that the result of that is that we would, we would be changed, that we would wake up. Father, that we would begin to look more and more like the One who has loved us, the One who has saved us, in whose name we pray, Jesus' name. Amen. I heard a story a couple years ago from a pastor who, um, he was pastoring in New York at the time, he's not there any longer, but he, he had this night where he had to go to a banquet, and the banquet was for an addiction recovery um, center, and so it's, it's one that his church had worked with, and um, he loved going to these banquets, he loved going to listen to the stories, that's really what happens at those banquets, is that you get to hear about people who were um, really in bondage and who have been set free from that in many ways, and they get to tell their story, they get to talk about how God has changed them. And so he was listening to these stories and excited to be there, and then there was one guy who, who got up to speak, and it really caught his attention because this guy was just the quintessential New Yorker. I mean, he was, he was kind of like big and looked a little rough and... He, you know, his, the pastor's first thought was like, this guy looks like he's in the mob. And it turns out he, he used to be in the mob, that he was actually a hitman in the mob. And so he begins to tell his story about how God has changed him. And, and he says this. I'm not going to try to use a New York accent. I wish I could, but it's just not going to work. He says this. You can imagine it. He goes, you know, just the other day, for example, how God has changed me. Just the other day, I'm riding on the subway. And I have on my mink coat. Just pause there for a minute. (laughs) Just picture that in your mind. I have on my mink coat. I'm riding on the subway. And he said, these two punks, they get on and they start giving me a hard time. And they pull knives on me and they want my coat. And he said, so I pulled out my pistol and I shot both of them in the leg. And he said, a year ago before I knew Jesus, I would have shot both of them in the head. You go, it's one, thing, it's one thing to not kill your neighbor, right? Um, it's another thing for us to actually love our neighbor. And we all, you know, we laugh because we go, I see in my own life that process 
from not really not murdering in my heart to actually loving and seeking the life of those around me is a really slow process. But what I want us to see this morning is that this is one of the main major things that Paul has been leading us to through this whole book, that he has been eager, I promise you, to get us to this point. Because what he is saying is that you have been redeemed by God, by the mercies of God, for a reason. So that you might be made whole again. And what he's showing us in this passage is that this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like for you to be a whole person again, is that you are someone who loves. And so this morning, I want to talk about, we can, we can say this in a couple different ways. I want to look at three things. I want to look at the goal, I want to look at the timing, and I want to look at the method. Um, you might say the what, the when, and the how. The goal, the timing, and the method. So what about the goal? You have to remember again the context of this passage. The, the context is that he's still just bleeding out from this transition in, at the beginning of chapter 12, that he says, Therefore, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as living sacrifices. Remember? And what is the, almost the exact next thing he begins to talk about? That he begins to talk about love. Therefore, because you've been shown mercy, because God has loved you, present your bodies as living sacrifice. And then he starts to talk about love. And so I will say what the goal is very quickly, that he begins to talk about the law in this passage. And what he's saying is that the goal, the goal of the law, and I would say even we would go beyond that and say the goal of your redemption, one of the primary goals of your redemption, of you being brought into the family of God, of you being shown mercy, is love. The goal of the law and even the goal of you, one of the goals of you being brought into the family of God and being shown mercy is love. That you were redeemed, you were redeemed by love, for love. That you were redeemed by the love of God, for love. Why? So that you can, he goes on to say it, so that you can bless those who persecute you. That's not natural. So that you can associate, he says, with the lowly. That's not natural. So that, you, so, so that you can show honor and outdo one another in showing honor. He says that you were redeemed for this purpose. And when you step back and begin to look at that, it, 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 it is stunningly beautiful that this is what the day he's saying holds for you. What the day holds for you who've been redeemed by God is love. He kind of lays it out in this way. What does he say in in these verses? Verses 8 through 10, he says, Owe no one anything but to love one another, to love each other. So owe no one anything. This sounds kind of like a funny, you know, um, a lot of people have argued through the years and a lot of ink has been spilled. It's like, does that, is he saying I should just never go into debt over anything? I'm not going to talk at all about that. I think that's missing the major point because what he just got finished talking about was paying your taxes and submitting to government. And so basically I think what Paul's saying is he's going, look, just pay, pay up. Um, don't owe anyone. The people that you owe money to, pay them money. If, even if it's the government... Right? And what he's saying is that 
The God who brought you from death to life, the God who has shown you mercy, is also the God who is in control over all of the nations, so just chill out and pay your taxes. Can we move beyond that now, and let me tell you about what is continuing throughout your life, is that you need to love one another. And what he's saying is that you owe no one anything except to love one another. What he's saying is that this is a perpetual debt, that it's not like you get to a a certain time in your life and it's like, I'm done, right? I have loved my wife to the full extent, and now I can relax. Um, He's saying that this is ongoing, and it's for the rest of your life. It's It's a perpetual debt. And so you go, well, what does that mean? It means this. It means that you actually owe love to other people. That you are actually created to love other people. And when you don't love other people, you are actually robbing them of something. It means that you owe love to the woman at the DMV who watched you stand in the wrong line for an hour and then sent you to a different one. Right? It means you owe love to the mechanic who can never seem to actually fix your car. It means you owe love to that hermit neighbor who will never look you in the eye even when you make the attempt to get to know him. It means you owe love to that woman who's in the checkout line with the screaming child who she seems to be ignoring and you're wondering if the child is screaming because of her. That Paul says, owe no one anything except to perpetually love one another. Why? Because you were made to love them, and if you do not love, then you're actually robbing them of something. He goes so far as to say it this way. He says that to love one another is to fulfill the law. And you might kind of, that might give you pause that you go, to love one another is to actually fulfill the law. How is that? How is that, how is that possible? And he, he begins to kind of list these commandments and if you notice, if you know anything about the Ten Commandments, you know that the first half of the Ten Commandments is about loving God. And he's not, he's not talking about that in this passage. The second half is about loving your neighbor. Um, it's about loving one another and how we do that. And he lists, all the commandments are listed in that second half negatively, right? Do not do this. Do not murder. Do not covet. Do not commit adultery. And what Paul is saying is that when, when we love, we actually go beyond, we go actually beyond the do nots, therefore love is fulfilling the law. Not in the sense that your love of another is actually meriting God's love, right? It's, what Paul is, is certainly not saying, he's like, listen, we've gotten this far and let me just tell you the secret to earning God's love is that you love one another and if you do it well enough, then he'll love you. That's kind of absurd based on everything he's already said. What he's already said is that you are accepted by God sheerly by grace. Therefore, you are set free to now love one another. You are actually set free to follow the law in such a way by loving you actually fulfill it. You think about it this way. It just makes sense. If I love you, you don't have to tell me not to steal from you, right? If I love you, I don't want to steal from you. If I love you, I don't want to cheat on you. If I I love you, I'm not going to continually be jealous and covet 
everything that you have. If I love you, I'm not going to murder you, hopefully, right? But we could go beyond that, and what Jesus told us is that if I love you, then I'm not even going to hate you in my heart. And it's in that way that Paul's saying the, the intent of the law, the goal of the law from, its, from when it was first given was to show us and point us towards love. And you might go, okay, I see that. Well, what I'm starting to see is that sin is actually something that robs the world of love. That sin is something that robs the world of love, but what Paul is saying is that your redemption is the death of sin so that you might be set free to love. That sin is something that robs the world of love, but your redemption, what God has worked out through Jesus Christ in you, is something that puts sin to death. Why? So that you might love. So that you might truly love again. That means God didn't just redeem you so that one day you would go to heaven. Will we spend eternity with Him? Yes, and that is glorious. But He didn't just redeem you for that purpose, that He redeemed you also for right here and right now so that you might actually begin to be part of the healing of the world through something as simple as loving the people around you by not repaying evil with evil, by associating with the lowly, by some of the things that He's already pointed out and some of the things He's going to point out in the weeks to come, that Jesus redeemed you so that you might be set free to love. And what we start to see is that love then is the primary witness that God is actually good in the New Testament. That love is the, we could put it this way, love is the primary apologetic. And it's not watertight arguments, bulletproof arguments. It's not political affiliation or the right person in office. It's not any of those things that what he's saying that that actually proclaims the gospel most clearly. It's not looking at people who are sinning out there and saying, I'm going to continually tell you you're wrong over and over and over again. That he's saying the primary witness is actually that we love. Because love is from God, John tells us, and those who truly love can only belong to him. And you go, okay, well what then does love look like? Like, what is, what is love? And the Bible says it this way, God is. God is love. And you go, well, what, what does that look like? And the Bible says, it looks like Jesus. It looks like Jesus because Jesus is the incarnation of love. That when Jesus came, what Jesus did when he took on flesh is that he perfectly loved God and he perfectly loved his neighbor. Um, So that Paul would say in Ephesians 5, he says, therefore, another therefore, he says, be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. What does it look like to imitate God? He says, walk in love. And you go, how do I do that? As Christ, what does that look like? As Christ loved us. And gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You go, Paul says, imitate God. What does that look like? Well, that looks like walking in love. What does that look like? That that looks like Jesus. What does Jesus' love look like? It looks like giving his life up. Laying his life down for those 
who don't deserve it. Who are those people? When we watch Jesus, I mean, isn't it incredible that we have four Gospels that give the account of the incarnation of love walking through the earth? And Jesus, who did Jesus love? He loved the people who knew that they didn't deserve it. He loved lepers. He loved tax collectors. He loved prostitutes who burst into dinner parties, unwelcomed and unannounced and wept at his feet. He loved people like me, right? He loved people even like you. And friends, this is the goal. The goal of the law and the goal of our redemption is that we might be able right now, right here, to imitate His love. That we might be transformed in such a way that we might actually imitate His love. That's the goal. What is the timing? In verses 11 and 12, he makes this shift, and it almost seems like he's changing topics, but he's not. The timing, he says, is now. He says the timing is that it's time for us to wake up. That the night is over and the day is at hand, and he starts to get kind of almost, I love this, Paul gets almost poetic with us. He does this in a few other places in his letters as well, and he says... It's time to wake up. Why? Because salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. And you go, what in the world does that mean? Sometimes you read Paul and you're like, I I don't know, what does that mean? Salvation is nearer now than than when I first believed, and because of that, it's time for me to wake up. He's, He's talking about salvation not in the sense of just our individual salvation. What we talked about in Romans a lot, way, way far back, Um, when we talked about our justification. What he's saying is that salvation is at hand in the sense that, um, in the sense of God's full scope of what he's doing in Christ in all of the world and all of the universe. Right? That he's knitting everything back together, that he is making all things new. And Paul is saying, wake up. It's no longer night. Jesus has come and He has risen and it is a new day and He is doing something that is changing everything and you are now called to be a part of that. And the way that you do that is through love. And some people might wonder, you kind of go, well, Paul, was Paul wrong? Like it seems like he's, he thinks that the day is at hand, meaning like all of that's going to happen within his lifetime and he's telling everyone... Um, to be really alert. Not at all. If you go over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, another letter that Paul wrote, Paul basically says, he goes, nobody knows when that day is. I mean, he admits that himself. He says that day is coming like a thief in the night. And I think that that's exactly his point. If we know that that day is coming, but we don't know when it is, then, then it's imminent. It's always at hand. And so he says, stay alert. Be awake. That he's warning us against going back to sleep. Right? That he's warning us against hitting the snooze button over and over and over again. That he's, he's warning us against being so absorbed in certain things that we begin to forget and miss the main point. That he's warning us against being so obsessed with looking at my own watch in my own time, that I'm not paying attention to God's timing and what He's doing. 
You kind of go, well, I mean, none of us could ever be guilty of that, right? Um, How are we lulled back to sleep? We could talk about this for days. I'll just mention a few things that I think pop out um, to me almost immediately is that we are lulled to sleep. Um, Brian prayed for some of these things um, in, in the pastoral prayer, that we're lulled to sleep when our work consumes us to such a degree that basically our identity becomes those things that we do. And so we become so busy that other people begin to be pushed aside and everything is about me kind of establishing my status. That's a way that we're lulled to sleep. It's a very active way, right? That maybe we're lulled to sleep because we fall in love with things that we think will make our lives better and we begin to give all of our energy to them. And we start to think bigger, better, nicer, whatever it might be for you, um, that begins to get all of my, my energy. And it begins to get all of my thought. And it begins to get all of my time. And that is a way, I think, that we're lulled to sleep. That maybe building on those, that we're lulled to sleep, for those of us who have families, when we want to make our family sort of the perfect family. And... It doesn't really matter what family, like you, you might criticize other people for the way they want theirs to look, but you've got your own way too, right? And we want to build kind of the perfect little family. And it becomes the thing that we're obsessed with. And it lulls us to sleep. That we're lulled to sleep when all of those things combine in our mind in such a way that we live just horrifically anxious, fearful lives. That we don't literally want to get up. We don't literally want to wake up in the morning because we don't want to face the day because um, all of those things that we're truly worshiping are being threatened all the time. And Paul says, you're, you're asleep. <laughs> like you don't realize, like the day is, the day is here. The, the night has passed and you have been called into something that is so much greater than that. And yet you're wasting all of your energy worrying. Worrying about the wrong things. I love the way that Wendell Berry puts it. If you look on the front of of your bulletin, this is a little snippet from one of his poems, and I think it kind of sums this up. He starts with the kind of ironically with the word love. He says, Love the quick profit, the annual raise, vacation with pay. Want more of everything ready made. Be afraid to know your neighbors and to die. And you will have a window in your head. Not even your future will be a mystery anymore. Your mind will be punched in a card and shut away in a little drawer. And then he goes on to say this. So friends, every day, do something that won't compute. Love the Lord. Love the world. Work for nothing. Take all that you have and be poor. Love someone who does not deserve it. If those last few lines of Wendell Berry make you kind of angry or uncomfortable, then he's basically quoting Jesus, right? To wake up, to not be lulled asleep, means that you're probably going to be doing something that doesn't compute with the rest of the world. That it, that it goes against, it might go against the American dream, right? That it may look even a little bit foolish or irrational. 
And you go, that's the, the timing. The goal is love. The timing is now. And what's the method? How do we do that? How do I love my neighbor? Because um, the things that I think he's talking about, when I look at this and I read this, um, I, I immediately start to think, I don't love anyone but myself, really. I, I love myself so much that it gets in the way of ever really loving anyone else. And I think in these last couple of verses, I think what he's actually doing is, is, giving, is giving us a method. And it might sound like, I'm going to read these verses again, it might sound like Paul is switching topics. Like he's saying, let's talk about love, and then at the end he's going to be like finger-wagging, like quit being so immoral. Like those two things are totally unrelated. Listen, listen to these words again, because I, I think that's exactly not what he's doing. Um, halfway through verse 12, he says, So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. I think that what Paul has given us in that is he's giving us a method for how we might think about loving. And it involves two things that I'll talk about really quickly. It involves casting off or putting aside. And it involves putting something else on. That we start by, we start by casting off the things that are keeping us asleep, right? Right? that we cast off the things that are keeping us in the darkness. He calls them works of darkness. And when we start to see this for what it really is, that what we start to see is that sin, the works of darkness, are not just us breaking some arbitrary law of God, right? It's not just us kind of going, oh, well, um, yeah, I did this, I stole, and now God's mad. That we start to see that, that sin is the antithesis of love. That I cannot, I cannot truly love while I'm walking in the darkness. And this is why Paul is telling you to cast it off. You cannot love if you are walking in the darkness, is what he's saying. As long as you walk in the darkness, it's impossible because the works of darkness that he lists are all, in, at the heart of them, are self centered drunkenness, sexual immorality, quarreling. Jealousy, you know, all of those things, he says you can't truly love when you're, when you're still in the darkness. And he says it's time to cast them off. It's time to take them off. It's time to wake up. I, you know, maybe my mind is on backpacking, <clears throat> but I was, I, it made me think of one time when I wore the same shirt for a couple of weeks while I was backpacking. And um, if you've ever done that before, I don't recommend it. Um, but what happens over time is that you don't realize how bad you smell until that day when you take it off and you get clean and you pick that shirt up again. I remember picking it and going, oh, my goodness. <laughs> and you put on something clean. And it's, it's the most amazing feeling ever. And before, you didn't even realize it. You didn't realize how bad it was. So you go, well, what does that specifically maybe look like for us? It might look like realizing that as long as the seed of jealousy is in my heart and I'm always mad about what other people get and I'm not getting, I will never be able to love them. 
I can't love them when I'm jealous. As long as I'm constantly quarreling with people, I'm never going to love them. It may look like you know, some of the secret things in your life, maybe a, a pornography addiction that, that you think is not hurting anyone else. It may be coming to realize that this is hurting a lot of people. That my sin is selfish. And if my sin is selfish, what I've been redeemed for, I can't really fulfill. Because I'm still walking in the darkness. And Paul says instead to put on something. He says it in two ways. He says to put on armor of light. And a little later he says to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And I love that imagery of putting on this armor of light because armor is something that protects you, right? That it, Armor and, and light is something that goes out. And it's almost like you're putting on something that is going out into the darkness and is resisting the things that are constantly coming at you, trying to kill you, right? That sin, like, sin wants to seek and it wants to destroy. And he says, put on this armor of light so that when you move out into the darkness, that it is pushing the darkness back. And I think that maybe we could even say it's pushing it back with love. But he says more than that. What is that armor of light? He says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think that what Paul is saying, is he's saying this, look, what I'm not telling you is that you can love perfectly. What I'm not telling you is like, now that we've got all of this covered about what God has done, now everything is up to you. That what he's saying is that every morning you need to wake up and you see the day is at hand and you go, how am I possibly going to love today because I am still so selfish. And he says, clothe yourself once again with Jesus. Immerse yourself once again in the mercies of God so that what you realize is that he loves somebody like me. And the more that I'm amazed that he would love somebody like me, what Paul is saying is the more that you become somebody who is transformed to not seek vengeance, right? To not quarrel, to not be jealous, to not objectify the opposite sex for yourself. But the more that you actually, he's saying, want to love. I heard a story, I'll end with this, just a few weeks ago from one of you where you were, one of you were talking about the way in which God is just working in your life, and it's surprising you. And this person was talking about just even listening to Romans and listening to really grace and mercy explained has been something that this person said it's, they were skeptical of, and yet it must be supernatural because God is changing them. And I said, well, how do you see that manifesting itself in your life? What does that look like? And they paused for a minute. And I kind of wondered, like, what would you say? I've been reading my Bible a lot more. It's a wonderful thing. But they paused for a minute or, you know, we could think of any, any number of things that we might fill in that blank. And they said, I feel like I actually care about people. I feel like I actually care about people that before I wouldn't have even paid attention to. And to that, I would say that is exactly what Paul is talking about. And that's exactly what God 
is in the business of doing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us um, to not be lulled back into sleep. There's so many there's so many lullabies that are being sung to us every day, um, telling us to, to go just rest in the darkness. And Father, I pray that you would help us to see that the day is at hand and that we would put on Jesus Christ, that we would clothe ourselves not with our own goodness, not with our own morality, not even with our own good works, but with the redemption that he has worked in us and for us. Father, I pray that what we would be known as, as a people, um, is that we are a people who loves, that we love like he has loved us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.